So what comes to mind when you first hear the word Bible? Does a phrase or an idea come to your mind? Maybe something like inspiring, or maybe something like irrelevant, or maybe overwhelming, or maybe rich. I mean, a variety of things could come to mind when you hear the word Bible. It's all based on our own experiences, and it's probably as much variety as there are people and experiences. My name is Janet. I'm one of the pastors here at Restore, and the Bible has shaped my life in so many positive ways. But if I'm honest, the Bible has also been a source of frustration and confusion at times. So that is why I'm really excited to dive in and talk about the Bible in this series, How the Bible Works. Because sometimes I think we think that the Bible works in a certain way, only to be frustrated, confused, and even hurt when we expect the Bible to be something it was never meant to be. So in this series, we're going to share how we believe the Bible works. And when we right-size our own expectations of the Bible, it can be a powerful book that has a positive impact on our lives. But unfortunately, in our culture, the Bible is often used as a source of controversy, disagreement, debate, pain, or even a weapon against other people. So while we live in a culture where some people would say the Bible is comfort, hope, joy, and love, and others would say the Bible is pain, sorrow, sadness, and confusion, so much of those differing experiences come down to how the Bible has been shared with us. When I misuse the Bible, or when I see other people misuse the Bible, when I see it used as a way to prove that someone is right or better or smarter or superior, it just breaks my heart because I'm convinced that the Bible was never intended to prove anything about anyone being better or righter or superior than anybody else. So instead, when we see the Bible as something that points us to wisdom and ultimately points us to Jesus, then the Bible becomes a source of true inspiration. So I hope in the next few minutes that you will see the Bible as something that inspires us to live fully alive. Jesus said these words, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Now, I love those words of Jesus, but I love them even more in the message translation of the Bible that says it like this, I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. How inspiring. But before we dive in to see how the Bible can be a source of living that kind of life that Jesus describes, let's just make a few comments here up front that help us right-size our expectations. 
We always have to remember when reading the Bible that it was written in a different time and a different place by various different authors. Now, obviously that's true, but sometimes we forget when we're reading it. And so just remembering that alone each time we read the Bible helps us right-size our expectations. And although every detail is not 100% clear, and even the best of Bible scholars interpret various, various important passages differently, we can know for sure that the Bible points us to wisdom and the Bible points us to Jesus. So, how does knowing all of that help us to read the Bible in such a way that inspires us to live fully alive. Well, first of all, the Bible shows us our identity. And when we look at our identity through the lens of the story of the Bible, it's a pretty inspiring identity. See, we all have multiple identities. I'm a mom, a wife, a sister, a friend, a Mimi. Um, I'm a teacher, I'm a pastor. But the Bible is really clear about my one true identity. The Bible helps me see that I am a beloved child of a holy God. See, the Bible is essentially a love story. It's God's love for humankind, God's love for people. So when I begin to understand myself in that overall narrative of love story of the Bible, then I can see my identity differently. In this love story, God is the pursuer of humans. And humans, well, we generally in this story play hard to get. See, God knows what he wants. He wants a relationship with humans, with us. But we, the humans, we're unsure. We're confused about our feelings. We're the angsty teenager who are never sure what we really want. But in spite of us being this way, unsure, God still is focused fully on us. So the Bible is the story about how God pursues people. The Bible is a story about how God pursues you and how God pursues me. See, it starts with the story of creation. God creates people. And then there's this whole part of the rest of the story, which is how we people turn away from God over and over and then God pursues us in a variety of ways over thousands of years that ultimately culminates in God sending Jesus to earth to rescue us from ourselves and help us turn back to God. The story, the whole story, it's kind of summed up in John chapter 3. For this is how God loved the world. He gave us his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. See, so much of our lives is taken up with this, this idea, this concept of love. We pursue 
love. It's just what we do naturally. It's in our human nature. We are interested in real, unending, unconditional love. From the moment we are born, we need this love to survive. You see the toddler who's always saying, hey, look, mom, watch me, dad, look here. And in those requests, the toddler is basically saying, do you see me? Do you love me? Do I matter to you? We're all seeking that kind of love with our life all the time, every day. This is how one of Jesus' disciples, John, describes it. Knowing that we're all seeking love, he says this, this is real love. Not that we loved God. No, he loved us. And he sent his son as a sacrifice for us. So from the story of Romeo and Juliet to West Side Story to Titanic, the movie, we love a good love story. These stories, they speak to our heart because we were created to be loved. This is our design. So once the question of am I loved is answered with a resounding yes, then we are free to live fully alive in that love as our identity is clear that we are beloved children of a holy God. We are worth his constant and consistent pursuit. Watch this story of my friend Sparky, who did not grow up knowing love in her family, but was totally transformed when she recognized that she was a loved child of God. My experience growing up was different than some people's. I had a difficult time. I guess everybody does, but mine was a bit different. I was adopted at a fairly young age with my brothers. We'd been in and out of foster care for uh, different things related to abuse and neglect. My dad was an alcoholic and uh, he was full of rage. I don't remember him any other way but angry. We never felt very protected. When I was 16, I had one of those come to Jesus moments when uh, you're panicked because it's a life and death situation. And so you call out to God and you say, I will do whatever as long as you blah, blah, blah. The very next day, I, I started having conversations with God and it wasn't like formal prayers. It was like talking to a friend. All of a sudden, the Bible became alive for me and I, I wanted to read it all the time. I'd even hide it under my pillow so with a flashlight so I could read it at night. I know it's gonna sound weird, but I could taste it, I could feel it. For the first uh, couple, two or three weeks, I just, I walked off the ground. And other people could tell it too. And my drugger friends would come up to me all the time, you know, what are you on? I want some of that because they could tell that, that I was glowing. Well, that's what it was like to experience God's love. When I relate things to my dad, he was full of anger and hate, so was I. And um, I don't know that people could really even get close to me if they had wanted to. I had all the walls built up 
And, and I know that there's people that are gonna listen to this that have those same kind of walls. All I can say is that God is real. He embraced me, he gave me what I didn't have. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. So first, the Bible shows us our identity, our true identity, beloved children of a holy God. And second, the Bible inspires us to grow as people, to grow in our own character. See, the Bible, it points out sin. We know that. It points out sin, where we miss the mark of God's best for us. See, in the Old Testament, the early days, the Old Testament of the Bible, God gave the Israelite people laws through Moses. And those laws included moral laws, social laws, food laws, purity laws. And the Ten Commandments were the summary of those laws. And these were, laws were given in a way to show people how to live in right relationship with God and right relationship with each other. The laws were also given to point out the absolute impossibility that any one human being would ever be good enough to be in right relationship with God. These laws, they point out that being good enough, following every single detail of the law, was actually an impossibility. And when our sin was exposed in that way, the fact that we can't measure up to God's expectations of who we are, it points out our need for a Savior. Something that would bridge the gap, that would make up the difference between how God created us to be and who we are. We need something to bridge the gap so that we can be in right relationship with God. And so God sent Jesus to solve that problem. So we get to the New Testament when Jesus enters the picture and he takes the penalty of the sin and it frees us to live as imperfect human beings in right relationship with a holy God. And because Jesus takes our sin on himself, we become righteous. And when Jesus does this, he fulfills the requirements of the law. And so these laws are no longer rules to live by. And Jesus becomes the relationship to live by. See, we see humanity's relationship with God grow through the pages of the Bible. See, initially in the infancy of mankind, the rules set the standard for how life works to help people understand that they are not in charge. God is in charge. God is the authority, and we ultimately respect that authority. We are not in charge. It's like a parent-child relationship. You have rules for your little toddler, and you tell your toddler, do not play in the street. Your toddler does not understand why, but you tell them because it's for their protection, it's for their good, it's for their safety. But every single toddler will test that boundary and put their toe out in the street when you are looking right at them because they want to be in charge. 
They do not yet have the wisdom to understand that playing in the street is dangerous. But when your toddler becomes a teenager, you don't have to tell them every day when they leave the house, remember, don't play in the street. They already have the wisdom. They know. They know that this is uh, not good for them. And so it no longer has to be a rule because they have the wisdom. So eventually God's relationship with people grows and Jesus comes and the laws and the rules are fulfilled. And we now rely on wisdom to live life God's way. But just because the laws are fulfilled, we no longer live under them does not mean that we can just go on sinning and do our own thing. No, Paul warned us about that in his letters to the believers in Rome. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we just keep go on sinning so God's grace can just abound? Paul says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. We can't live in it any longer. This is how our relationship with God grows, from rules to wisdom. And now, instead of always running around trying to do right all the time, we try to be right with God. We are now not only inspired to live fully alive, we are empowered to live fully alive through the Holy Spirit. Paul writes about that like this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, the Bible inspires us to grow into people who have characters like Jesus. And the key word is us. It inspires us to grow. And this is where I think sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we take the Bible and say, this is the word of God, and I will use it to expose you instead of me, instead of ourselves. For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And when we use the Bible as a sword to expose others, instead of as a mirror to expose ourselves, that's when the Bible is used as a weapon and then the Bible can repel and hurt others instead of being an invitation to a life fully alive. Jesus warned against this. He said this, do not judge others. Why worry about the speck that's in your own eye, the, the speck that's in your friend's eye when there's a log in your own eye? First get rid of the log out of your own eye and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. See, when sin is released from our lives and we use the Bible to speak to our heart, soul, and character, then we grow. 
And when our character grows, we're living fully alive. So first, the Bible shows us our inspiring identity. And second, the Bible inspires us to grow in our character. And third, the Bible inspires us to grow in our calling. After we answer the question, am I loved? Our second question is, am I valuable? Will my life matter? Is there a purpose to my existence that's just bigger than myself? We begin our lives completely focused on ourselves. What I, I want what I want when I want it. It's all about me, what makes me happy and comfortable. I'm the center of the universe. Life's all about me. Isn't that what your cute little baby is saying every moment of their waking life? Give me what I want. But eventually, eventually, it's not too long until just having what we want and what we need, it falls short. And eventually, we want to make an impact. We want to do something that matters. I believe this desire is also given to us by God. He created us with a need to be loved and a need to love. And he created us with a desire to serve and make an impact. God has called each Christ follower to a particular time and place for a reason. Like it's no accident that you live where you live and that you're here in this time and season of the world. God has called you to a particular group of people. And those are the people that he has gifted each of us to serve. And what we call that here at Restores, we call that living as a missionary in my everyday community. My groups of people that I'm called to love and serve are my family, my neighborhood, my church family, my community. And I'm not just in those groups are those communities of people. I'm called to reach those groups, to serve those groups, and to love those groups. I like how um, the message version of the Bible talks about Jesus when he came to earth. And it says, Jesus, the word Jesus, became flesh and blood and moved right into the neighborhood. We, like Jesus, are his flesh and blood representation in the neighborhood. And the Bible inspires us to grow in our calling when we live that out in the community right around us. When we live like Jesus and love and serve others, we become fully alive. So, when we read the Bible as a book of wisdom that points us to Jesus, we can be inspired to live a fully alive life. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus so that we can live alive, alive in you. 
God, so much of us are just existing or just trying to survive. So God, I just pray that the words of the Bible would just come alive in us so that we might know you better, that we might grow in our own character and live out our calling. So God, I just pray that that would be a description of who we are as people in this community and that you would empower us and love us so that we can live that out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.